Okay, ready? Ready. Willing and able. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Flurry, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Uh, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. I'm Mr. Cowbell today. Uh, yeah, Steve Barkley is not here today. He's out on vacation. But we do have a special guest here in the room. We do? Yeah, it's, didn't you see that large elephant over there in the corner? No. Yeah, there's an elephant in the room. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people out there are wondering are wondering what happened last <laughs> week. Where is that 150th episode? That's now known as the it, missing episode. It didn't materialize. <laughs> what happened, guys? Yeah, well, all we can say is the show became a disaster, and oh, can, there really wasn't a whole lot worth pushing out to you so oh we can say a lot more than that no we shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't. oh we yeah oh i know we can but uh, we shouldn't uh, <laughs> let us just say because our audience knows us well enough there were shots involved there were yeah <laughs> there were it's true guilty as charged yeah. uh yeah no you know what it uh it me you know it's the portions of it may materialize at some <laughs> in, in some capacity in the future but uh no we uh we listened to it the next morning and uh we made well i shouldn't say a couple days later (laughs) truth be told we had a show the next day and uh ryan might have been a little late to getting there hey but you know what you got there i got there and i was only like two hours late yeah that's true it didn't start till 10 and i got there before noon I yes. was pretty impressed. Yeah, well, listen. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> uh, but it was a good time. Um, no, it wasn't a good time. Oh, I had a good time. <laughs> well, the drinking part was a good time. The after effects, not a good time. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, no, you, just you ask got... my wife. <laughs> well, listen, that's what happens with tequila. You lose track of what you're drinking. And, and you sit on the floor and stare at your shoes for I 10 mean, minutes. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting here watching it, and I, I don't know, I didn't really see you drinking all that much i was actually pretty shocked when we took off the headphones to go out for dinner and you were a little uh i was fine at that point till we got up the stairs and i went to put my shoes on yeah that's and then everything just, just kind of just hits you fell all apart. of a sudden yep but we had a good time uh we uh there's 150 episodes so it was a it was a bit of a milestone for us and uh the one thing from that episode, though, that we want to make sure that we get out there, though, is that uh, we appreciate our listeners. That uh, you know, everybody who stuck with us for 150 episodes of this thing, uh, we we love very much, and we appreciate all the support that uh, everyone's given us over the last uh, three years, and every single one of our guests that have uh, have donated their time to talk to us uh, here in the Guitar Dungeon. We appreciate very much. So. 
Uh, that's the one thing that we want to make sure that that isn't missing in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of it, we may. Uh, but you know, we have to do. We do have to give a shout out to another one of our listeners, though, uh, who did join us for a good portion of it, and and we talked to for for quite a while, and who we will most likely have on the show at some point because uh, he has a, a really interesting <laughs> story. Is uh, our good friend Shan? Yep, absolutely. He's got he's got quite an interesting life. He he does, you know. So uh, we will probably have him on again, and uh, so that everybody gets to uh, to hear his story. But uh, we have to give a, a big thank you for him for for joining us for most of it. And it's a it's a shame that that most of well all of it hit the cutting room floor, <laughs> but. But uh, well, to, we'll, to we'll have fair, him on again. We'll have him on again. To be fair, probably the first 10 minutes are okay. And like I said, I only got to like the Shan part of the interview and then I I just didn't get back to it. I don't know if you listened to the whole thing, but yeah, yeah, it probably just fell apart from there. Yes. So there you go, everybody. So all, for all the super fans, the 150 is going to be a lost episode for, for now. We're on to 151. Back to normal. So, given that, Ryan, Rob, uh, what are we doing today? Today, our very special guest is Dr. Amy Cavanaugh, who is a partially cited activist, creator of the Twitter hashtag, Just Ask, Don't Grab, and a blog called Cane Adventures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been, follow- we've been following her on Twitter for, for quite a while, I feel like, and yeah. we've been actually trying to, try to get her on the show. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, she's been on some other shows and, you know, I listened to some other interviews that she's done and she she speaks very openly and honestly about, you know, dealing with the use of a cane and, and transitioning to a guide dog and she's got a very interesting story to tell, so it should be it should be fun. Yeah. Uh so we will be bringing her on a little bit later, but first, let's do some news. So now, did you see this, Ryan? Uh, Lego has created a, some new Braille bricks as part of a, a new Lego set that they're releasing. Yeah, I did see that headline. Lego has created a new line of blocks studded with letters and numbers from the Braille alphabet to help teach the language to children with visual impairments. The blocks are set for a full launch in 2020 and will also have printed letters, numbers, and symbols which sighted people can use to read. There are 250 bricks as part of Lego's new line, and the company said that they will be fully compatible with Lego's standard blocks. That, that, now, that would be a piss-off if they actually made it so that you couldn't actually use them with regular Lego. Well, I was just thinking, though, weren't regular Lego, didn't they have, like, the six bumps on the top anyway? They and did, sure. Is based on six dots. Sure, but, I mean, you, you know. but you, those are what fit into, like, the interconnecting... Mm-hmm. Locks, so you don't see them. So I'm assuming that these, right? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where on the on the brick the braille, the braille would, would be. Yeah. be, but uh, you know, in any case, the uh, the idea behind it, of course, is to uh, encourage braille literacy in children, uh, which is always good. The article goes on talks about the uh, CNIB survey that was done in January, where uh, they found that. 70% of uh, working age people who are blind or partially sighted are unemployed. Yep. And 10% of 
And that number is probably low. 70%? Really? You think 70% yeah. is low, eh? Yeah. I think oh, there's yeah. people that, you know, they just don't know of. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, they also say that uh, less than 10% of the 830,000 Canadians who are visually impaired uh, are Braille literate. That's scary. That is that is a little surprising to me. Um, now, I wonder if that... It'd be interesting to look at the survey and see what the demographics were, you know, because like kids nowadays who are, you know, partially sighted or totally blind are learning Braille at an early age, right, in schools and stuff. So, but wasn't it always that way? I mean, well, you would think. Maybe, but there's a generation of baby boomers now who are losing their sight later in life and chances are they're never going to learn Braille, you know, or maybe have no interest in learning Braille or for some reason can't learn Braille. But, you know, the, for the last, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, even when kids were institutionalized, you would think that they were being taught Braille at a young age. But, you know, we hear a lot more about Braille literacy now than we ever did before. We do, but it's a real, uh, you know, it's a real push these days. My understanding was that the, the advent of screen readers and, um, you know, digital audio books and stuff somewhat mitigated um, that. Yeah, A lot a... of people, I think, when, when screen readers especially became fairly ubiquitous, um, people just decided that they didn't really need to learn Braille because they had a screen reader. Yeah, and, you know, the argument has always been that listening to something is not reading something, right? True literacy is being able to read and write. Yeah, well, and sure. For somebody who's blind or partially sighted, that means Braille. You know, listening to JAWS or NVDA on your computer or listening to an audiobook is a different way of absorbing the material than actually physically touching it, feeling it, reading it. You know, absorbing it. You absorb it, the information in a different way. Yeah. You know, it's just great to see uh, Braille literacy being pushed, um, especially from something like a mainstream company like like Lego. So, um, good, good for job, them. Lego. Yeah, good for them. And you know, that's where you got to hit them. You got to hit them early. Yep. So, and not only that, you know, it's educating uh, sighted kids as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, letting them know that you know Braille is a thing. Understanding it a little bit better. Well, and it makes, you know, play inclusive, right? You know, Lego's Lego, whether there's Braille on it or not. You know, bricks are bricks, and kids will be able to play with their sighted peers. We can all build the Death Star together. That's right. Now, if only they could make those bricks so they didn't hurt when you stepped on them, because <laughs> that sucks. Mm -hmm. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Microsoft is making VR better for those with vision problems. Microsoft has made a, a toolkit that they're calling Seeing VR. They've included 14 tools that include a bifocal lens, a magnifier, controls to adjust for brightness and contrast, edge enhancement, and uh, depth measurements. Assumingly so that the developers who are, who are developing for the platform can build in these tools into whatever, um, whether it's a... a a game that they're developing or any other sort of VR app uh, that could build in these accessibility options right into the, in, right into the game. We've, we've talked about, you know, the Xbox adaptive controller, and we've talked about some of the other accessibility features that are built into um, both the, the PlayStation and the Xbox. Um, gaming and accessibility is really taking some, some big leaps forward. And I'm, you know, I'm really happy to see this because, you know, as we know, I mean, we, we have, you know, a real experience with 
um, using the VR platform with um, vision enhancement. Um, there's a few products out there on the market that uh, use a VR platform for things like, you know, um, magnification and um, edge enhancement and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's really cool to see that Microsoft is actually actively uh, building toolkits for developers to actually for mainstream developers to sort of take that and bake those features right into to mainstream products. Hopefully, hopefully that's mm -hmm. the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we saw what they did with seeing AI. So, you know, and that was just, I think, a Microsoft Garage app, right? So if they're actually putting some energy efforts and, and money into seeing VR, the sky's the limit. It's kind yeah, of exciting. You know, it's shocking to me that the, how many articles I see these days about Microsoft and accessibility and really not a heck of a lot from Apple. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like the, the tables have turned. Yep. Um, you know, it's like Microsoft is taking the football that, that, you know, Apple ran down the field and now they're continuing to run with it. Um, I don't know, maybe Apple just has, has other fish to fry. I don't know what, what's going on with them, but, uh, when's their big Apple event? Uh, WWDC, I believe is in June. So it's not far behind. So this will be really, this is going to be an interesting few weeks because we have the, we have, of course, the Google event going on this week, and yep. we've got, uh, like as you said, the Microsoft event going on, mm -hmm. and then we'll we'll have the Apple event. Um, maybe that will shake things up a little bit. Maybe we'll see some some advancements with with Apple. Time will tell. Yeah, it's an exciting time because you know we're hearing some things from Microsoft, and like you mentioned, Google I/O is happening right now. And there's a bunch of accessibility events that they're hosting as well. So there's going to be a lot of news coming out in the next few weeks. Well, I hope so. Because, I mean, I don't know. I was a little underwhelmed by the accessibility news that came out of Google last year. Yeah. Out of their I.O. event. There wasn't really a lot. The previous year, they, they made some pretty leaps, pretty big leaps forward. But uh, last year, not so much. So uh, we'll see. We need to get that, that uh, Lookout app going. <laughs> yeah, we can definitely talk to them about it. We have them coming up on the show. Oh, really? We do. I have them booked. Look at you teasing. Mm -hmm. Tickling the audience with tickle, a feather. Tickle. Yep. Ah, Who's got your belly? Who's got your belly? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steve, why don't you tell the fine folks about Canadian Assistive Technology? Well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, assistive technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. <laughs> um, and uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it. Visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. Don't sound so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Speaking of repairs. We are the sister company to Canas Tech. Um, we do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines, uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Joining us now is Dr. Amy Cavanaugh. Good evening. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. 
Well, I am Ryan, and joining me in the room is my colleague, Rob Minot. Hello there. Hey. I guess your day is over. You're settled in for the evening. Well, I might be going out to the pub after this. Oh, of course. Yeah, you believe, the pub. trust us, you're going to need a drink after you talk to us. <laughs> Uh-oh. Be kind. Be oh, gentle. We are. Well, listen, hey, well, we really appreciate you taking some time out to talk to us, especially given that it's uh, it's it's eating into your, your pub night. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so hurry up, you guys. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you didn't have to get up early or anything. It's the right way around for me. Well, where to start? Well, listen, why don't, why don't you, we start by just uh, maybe just giving us a, a brief snapshot of your a visual impairment. So I'm a bit of a medical mystery. Um, I was born visually impaired. I received a diagnosis of um, idiopathic nystagmus, which basically translates as you're kind of broke. We don't know why. This is what it looks like a bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> so for many years, I've not had a you know, because nystagmus rarely exists in like isolation unless it's a result of trauma, right? Um, like a brain injury, stroke, something like that. So it does exist in isolation in some people, but I have other stuff. So I don't have very good depth perception. Um, I don't really have much in the way of peripheral vision. Uh, I'm very light sensitive, uh, artificial light, sunlight, pretty much live in sunglasses a lot of the time. Uh, I'm very short-sighted. Some of that is corrected with glasses, um, but not all the time. Right. And because of the nystagmus, which is the kind of uncontrolled movement of the eye, I try to describe it to sighted people. I mean, not that I really know, because having been born like this, I don't know what it's like to see for them. But other people have described it, and I kind of steal this. Um, when you get out your iPhone camera and it's being a bit slow and it goes in and out of focus, in and out of focus. And that's kind of how I see the world. Um, I talk about a bubble, you know, on a good day, a couple of meters away, I can recognize a face, read a big bus number. Um, but end of the day, tired, stressed, peckish, a bit drunk, you know, that, bu <laughs> that bubble of detail can reduce down to sort of an inch in front of my nose. Right. Um, I can read large text most of the time, but I am trying to anticipate and skill up and also have those skills for when it's too painful or difficult to do, you know, looking at stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think one of the hardest things I always find is that I have to explain to people that my vision is, it isn't the same hour to hour, you know, and I walk into a bright, sunny morning and I'm, I've got nothing you know right. uh so that's kind of that's kind of me I'm, I'm a mix I'm going through finally because the genetic testing has got a lot better now right they're gonna see if they think I might have a rare form of ocular albinism okay um so they're gonna test for that and they're trying a, a lot of new tests but yeah I was told a couple of weeks ago that I am atypical <laughs> which I kind of liked. Um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it also makes for a very long answer. Like, I wish I was just like, retinitis pigmentosa. <laughs> you know. But, yeah, I'm a... But everybody's got that. Who wants that? Everybody has that. <laughs> yeah, I know. God, it's so, like, so, so 2017, guys. Um, 
Well, now, and has that, has it stayed pretty much the same over, you know, over the years? The short-sightedness has got worse. And I think the whole being in massive denial about being visually impaired and using no aids or technology for most of my adult life did not help. Right. Um, and I think I wrecked my eyes a bit doing too much academia. So my uncorrected vision has changed quite significantly. Um, so that's gone from like 624 to like 660 uncorrected. So without my glasses on, I'm technically legally blind in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of pushing for that because, um, there's, like I say, there's a lot of times in the day where it doesn't matter if I've got my glasses on because my eyes are too tired or it's bright or whatever. Um, but, you know, as I'm sure you guys are familiar with the whole certification it's a bit old fashioned that's based on these very kind of narrow definitions of like medical vision rather than your experience of the world. Right. Um, and you know, there are people who have very different experiences of sight to me, be it worse or better, who are considered blind by the system when I'm not. Right. I try not to have a bee in my bonnet about that because I do have what we have that we call it sight impaired rather than severely sight impaired. So partially sighted rather than blind. So I have had that registration for most of my life. Um, and that, you know, that's good because it does at least recognize that I, I can't see stuff. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that you, you know, mentioned you went without any sort of aids for, well, the last number I saw was like 28 years in reading yeah. some of your information. And, you know, I, I'm totally blind. And, you know, the first thing they did was put an ID cane in my hand and then graduate to the, the long cane. And mm. I don't. I, I can't comprehend how you, as somebody partially sighted, was getting around London with no aids whatsoever. Like, your story is amazing to me. Well, I think it was kind of a combination of my own stubbornness and the not super disability positive environments I'd been in. Right. But also, I think, and I do believe this, and I do like to toot the horn of us visually impaired people who have useful residual vision. I think we do fall through the cracks. Mm. And I think I've spoken to a lot of people in the UK and the US where, especially when you're born partially sighted and you can't articulate that as a child, right? It's very difficult. And even my own parents have now said, we only now understand what you see because you talk about it because we had no idea what you could see as a child. Mm -hmm. And my mum said, you know, she now kicks herself for telling me off because one day I would see a horse in the field and the next day I wouldn't see the blackboard in school. (laughs) Um, You know, and she was like, oh, a little liar. She just likes horses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think it was very difficult because... I adapted and because I had it from childhood, I, that was my normal. And I think I developed a lot of coping mechanisms mm-hmm. sure. uh, that I now recognize. Um, but they were, I mean, exhausting and mm-hmm. painful and made me very anxious, made me very tired all the time. Um, you know, I now realize that I walk differently and like all kinds of stuff that it's been quite a revelation over the last two years how much I've been missing out on. And right. I do feel a bit sad about that sometimes. Sure. I have one friend. So she has a slightly similar level of vision to me, a little bit a little bit different, a little bit worse. Um, but she she always calls me a baby blind. 
you know, because she went she went to a blind school. She used mm-hmm. a cane from being a teenager. She's been a guide dog user for five years. She learned how to use assistive, you know, tech at school. And I, it's like I'm having to learn all these things as an adult, and right. it's quite a steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. And also because there is no clear prognosis about whether I will lose more sight or not. Right. It's kind of a bit of an unknown future. So I feel like I have to skill up in advance for something that could happen in five years or could never happen you know yeah so that's quite intense (laughs) yeah well and it's you know and it's always interesting to talk to people because everybody has a different experience and especially um you know people who are say born blind um versus people who maybe um develop some sort of a a degenerative eye condition later in life um you know that that process that they that they each have to go to go through is is very different um yeah you know especially you know depending on on when uh when they develop that that condition we've talked to people who um say have uh, well you know who's a great example is uh maria from girl gone blind um yeah she you know with with lhon you know she she didn't start to to lose her vision i i believe until her late 30s or, or into her 40s and you know, she described, you know, that grieving process that she went through sounded, you know, incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, and talk about learning curves and, and, you know, and trying to learn all these skills later in life. Um, yeah, it can be really challenging. I also think that it's about, you know, I always think it's difficult to compare experiences because I don't know what it's like to have full vision, but I do know what it's like to have a good day and a bad day. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a good day where I can read, you know, and I can play a video game for an hour or so, but I have days where I can't open my eyes and I have to hide in my bedroom and listen to podcasts and right. I can't make a meal for myself because I don't have enough of those days yet to be as skilled up as I probably should be. Right. And it's those days that I then think, come on, you need to – you now know a lot of awesome blind people who do everything for themselves. And these days previously were always just such a wipeout for me because I didn't think I could do things on those days. But, you know, if I master a screen reader, if I master voiceover on my phone, if I, you know, finally invest in a bit more, you know, gadgets around the kitchen instead of just relying on my partner to do it for me. Like those are the days I actually could claim a bit back. Um, And that's quite empowering, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in in your story about, you know, getting the cane for the first time and how empowering that was and yeah. then getting your dog and how, how different that was, but still empowering in a different way, you know, all... Well, of, no dog yet. Not Oh, you're it's still coming. on the waiting list? Okay. Yeah, but it's e- coming. But even your experience, I think, where you had a week or, or two weeks yeah. training with the dog, um, you know, that experience alone, not having to think about, okay, is there a patio table out here on the middle of the sidewalk? Is there a sandwich board? You know, the dog yeah. just steering you around that. The, the, the whole thought processes of mobility change. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's the same with independent living, you know, learning to cook or learning a screen reader. You know, everybody has their own way of processing, you know, their, their blindness or their impairment. And we all have our own ways of doing things that work for us. You know, I... I would go out on a limb and say not one method works for everybody because it, it just doesn't seem to be that way. So yeah, what, for sure. what works for you is great and that, you know, will help you attain further success in everything you do. 
Well, I hope so. I just think it's, I think, I think often something that I reflect on is how much I still have to battle against, um, you know, what I would call internalised ableism and those coping mechanisms that were not productive, that were not helping me, that were obscuring the support that I needed. I still have to fight those a fair bit, you know, when the big thing that I learned to say, and it sounds so silly, especially when you live with, like, you know, sight loss for nearly 30 years, is I still have to learn to say, I can't see that. Right, right. You know, because when somebody used to point it, we have a big TV screen in our office. Now I can stand right beneath it and make it out. You know, I watch TV at home sometimes with audio descriptions, sometimes not. If I'm, you know, literally about two or three feet from a TV, I can just about watch it on a good day. Not for very long, mm-hmm. but people would always point at things on the big TV in, in, in work and be like, oh, you know, look at that. Oh, haven't they let themselves down? Or, <laughs> oh, isn't that awful? And I just used to be like, oh, yeah. I didn't know what they were saying. I didn't know what they were pointing at. <laughs> I no clue. But I was so embarrassed by saying, oh, actually, I can't see that. And my partner was very good at helping me say I can't see that because we would be out with friends. And I love dogs. Like, this is one of the reasons I'm so excited about a guide dog because I absolutely love dogs and I found spending time with them very therapeutic. And Mm. I used to look after this, like, elderly grumpy dog that used to sleep in my lap when I was finishing my PhD. She was great. (laughs) Um, But we were out one day we were with a friend who was not quite as aware of my vision. And she pointed and she was like, oh, my God, that dog so cute. Did you see it? And I was just like, oh, yeah, it was precious. My partner went, you didn't see that, did you? I was like, <laughs> no. But I presume it was cute. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like he was being a dick and being like, you can't, don't you lie, you can't see that shit. Like, it was just him saying, it's okay to say that you didn't see it. That's right. not, you've not done anything wrong. You know, it's not like you failed. You just physically can't see it and that's okay. Like I could take a photo and then you could look at it later. Like that would be fine. You know, and he was very good at kind of empowering me to to have those moments where I say, you know what, damn it, I need some, I need some support. So that's been a very positive experience. I think that was the issue as well when I was younger, though. I was so determined not to be different, you know, and I think that's how everyone feels, right? And so the idea of carrying around a big white stick, I was just like, hell, no way. Like, (laughs) no way am I going to do that. Absolutely hell no. Like, that is not – I am not going to, like, put this great big label on myself that I am a blind person. I just – and I, it sounds ridiculous. It does really sound ridiculous, but I used to forget. So I would be sat in the library, desperately trying to stare at some medieval manuscript for my history degree. And I would be in so much pain and, you know, the whole world's wobbling around and I can't, you know, I'm desperate that I won't be able to find my seat again in the library because everything looks the same and it's blurring. And only then I would be like, oh, yeah, that's probably why I can't do this nine hours a day like everyone else and I get tired after six hours and have to go home and you know be sick or whatever and it was you know it took so much like of a physical experience for me to confront it because I emotionally and mentally denied it and like buried it inside myself so much that 
it took such visceral physical experiences for me to remember that again. Um, which I know sounds like complete blind privilege of like, oh, I forgot that I was blind. It's like, oh, well, some people definitely don't have that option. But yeah, I think it can be. And I think that is a similar experience for people I've spoken to who have gone through degenerative things, you know, clinging on to that. That's right. Last coping mechanism until it, it, it buckles. And I think it's a thing that the community needs to be a bit more open about because and I often get it. And I, you know, I interact with people online and, and so many people online have been great teachers to me, you know, teachers of skills that I've never had and have opened up worlds of technology and information that I didn't even know existed. Right. But also it's like, oh my God, they're like a super blind person. They know how to do everything and they just cope with everything. And, oh, I'm rubbish because I don't use voiceover all the time. <laughs> and sometimes people give you crap as well. You know, I do have plenty of people online saying, oh, well, you're not properly blind. You're not properly mm. blind. Well, you know, like, you don't speak for us. Oh, no, I didn't, I've never claimed to speak for you. I only ever speak for myself. And I think that's part of the problem, too, is we have, you know, some blind, partially sighted people out there who are so fiercely independent and good good on them for having the confidence yeah. to do so. But then, you know, have we have, you know, those of us, you know, speaking to myself, who doesn't travel independently with my cane because, well, I'm lazy um, and, and terrified to do it here in the city. But at yeah. the same time, you know, sometimes the, the, the public perception of somebody is who's blind is they had a family member or a relative who, you know, is out conquering the world as a blind person. Then they see you or me and they're like, well, why, why aren't you doing what, you know, Jack is doing? why are you so different? He, he's blind, you're blind. Um, and, you know, I think that perception is slowly starting to change with all, you know, social media and, you know, all the podcasts and all the information that's available to us now. But then it's also, then there's the other public perception, which is quite the problem, isn't it? That, well, my little old grandma went blind and she never left the house again. So mm -hmm, I must sure. instantly assist you like with everything because she was so isolated and lonely and you must be terrified and desperate as well. Right. That's right. And yeah. I just, there was, <laughs> hence, you know, just ask, don't grab. Um, yep. So, so I think there is like a middle ground there where I just wish blindness wasn't so homogenous, yeah. you know? And that's a barrier I face with attitudes, you know, when... I am using my phone out in public and I get the comments and the tuts and the, the stares and the unpleasantness because there I am with my big white stick and then I'm texting away on WhatsApp, you know. <laughs> Although, as my friends and family point out, they can read my text messages from across the room. But, you know, <laughs> that's, it's, it's that middle ground that I think so many of us are fighting for and desperately trying to educate all the time. You know, this technology is incredible. You know, you understand how Siri works, so surely you can understand how a blind person's phone can work. Right. Hell, it's your phone. I could show you how to turn it on. Yeah. You know, and it it is this middle ground, I think. Yeah, sometimes we do ourselves a disservice, and I try to be super aware of this because I was on that journey. You know, I don't want anyone to look at me and be like, oh, my God, she goes around London and she's got her everything together. Because I don't. Like, <laughs> I have days where I just burst into tears and instantly call an Uber and say, sod it, I don't care how much it costs, I can't face it. Mm -hmm. You know, 
I have days I want to throw my cane in the bin. You know, yeah. I think everyone has those days. And sure. I think it's just openness is the key, isn't it? It's about openness, about your, and that's what I try to do. And I try to talk about those days as well. You know, it took me a very long time to get here. And yes, the white cane has been a huge boost to me. But I still have plenty of days where I stop in the corner and need, you know, a nice hot bath and like not to talk to anyone for two days. But yeah. you don't always have that option. So you do have to pick yourself up again. But then that's why being part of an online community is amazing because there's 12 other people there that go, I'm having that day. Right. This thing was hard, you know, and that was actually the revelation for me was when I started talking about this stuff, you know, in little, little drips and drops, gradually started mentioning it. And then it's like someone opened a door to this whole secret kingdom that I'd never heard of where there were dozens, hundreds, thousands of people having similar experiences yeah. to me. And it's been amazing to feel a part of, but like also, like I say, there is a bit of me that feels very bittersweet, that like, oh, my days, I wish I'd found out about this five years ago, ten <laughs> years ago. Yeah. But then maybe I wouldn't have been ready for it. Maybe this mm -hmm. is the time it had to come. You know, I, I was no longer feeling safe traveling independently. I was avoiding it. And luckily I found the right organization to support me at the right time. Um, so, yes, it's been a wild ride, <laughs> I would say. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the, the Twitter campaign, mm -hmm. uh, the Just just Ask, Don't Grab campaign. And give us a... Because I, I think it really has struck a chord um, with with the community, I think, because so many people have had that experience. So can just give us an idea of, of how that all started. Well, it did start the same way. You know, it, it was... I started using the white cane. I started with the ID cane, the symbol cane. And I had been given one of those as a teenager by a social worker and I hated it. And my mum was like, you have to hold it when you're crossing the road. And I was like, not <laughs> bloody holding it when I'm crossing the road. No 16 year old wants to do that, right? Mm. And I was like, everyone is gonna, you know, I'm gonna get punched by some bully for holding <laughs> this. So I'd always had these very negative associations with the cane and, um, but I realized pretty quickly that the symbol cane, and I know a lot of people use it and they find it very valuable, but I did not. I found it pointless. I was like, I'm waving around this little white conductor's baton. People think I'm on my way to a symphony. You know, people don't know what this is. It's not touching the ground. Mm -hmm. it, it just seemed pointless to me. It wasn't making, no one was getting out my way or, or giving me a seat. And I thought, well, I'll get one of the big long canes because I really honestly didn't appreciate what, the mobility side of things. I just thought, well, that's a proper blind person symbol. That's what I need. And then people will just get out of my way when I'm on the tube and they might give me a seat. Anyway, I found out that you had to have training and I was like, oh my God, training. Do you need to like hold a stick? Because I was, <laughs> exactly. I was, I was a dick. I just, like, didn't appreciate, like went from being like, oh, this thing is awful to, oh God, I guess I'll have to have one just so I don't like fall down the stairs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and eventually, you know, managed to access some training through guide dogs. Um, and like, you know, it opened up this whole world to me. Like, it was like, I discovered I had a new sense that I'd never, you know, this sense of kind of tactile life that I'd never experienced before. And 
that was incredible. But then the kind of, you know, the flip side of this magical journey of discovery was that suddenly I'd gone from being an invisible disabled person to a visible disabled person. And I think it is because I have those two perspectives that I can offer something quite, you know, I know that people didn't used to grab me in the street, right? Right. When I didn't hold a big white stick, little old ladies did not used to drag me across the road. (laughs) Yeah, you looked like everybody else. And so I knew that there was something different here. Mm. And I was suspicious. I thought, well, you know, maybe it's because I'm a bit younger. I don't claim to be very young anymore. I'm like hitting the big 3-0 in July. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a youngish woman. I am in London. Like maybe this is like a me thing. You know, maybe holding this is made is particular to me. Which is slightly arrogant, but I was kind of just so shocked by it happening. I didn't really right. have any way of processing it. And so I started tweeting about it and I just said, like, I think it was um, I think it was May 2017 I did the first tweet about it. And I said, oh, you know, I was getting on the train and this person just like pulled me into the train carriage and didn't say anything. And it was really weird and I didn't like it and it was frightening. And then honestly, instantly, seven or eight people popped up and they said, oh, yeah, that happens to me every day. That happens to me all the time. Yeah. Oh, I'm a wheelchair user. People grab my chair and push me around the shop in it without asking. (laughs) Oh, yes, I use crutches. Somebody pulled one out of my arm the other day. (sighs) And I was thinking, what? What? What is this? What is this lunacy? (laughs) What is this? Like, this is unbelievable. This is completely... I can't believe that that is happening to more... to to other people. Mm -hmm. You know, and... I was so shocked by it and I started sort of talking and it kept happening to me and I began to find it quite upsetting because it is an upsetting experience. Right. And I kept saying, you know, this is really upsetting. Like, I really don't like this. This is, you know, I don't have peripheral vision. When someone comes at me from the side and touches me, I have no idea they, you know, that where they come from or what their intentions are. Um, because let's face it, we've all had the dodgy intentions as well as part of this whole issue. And I said, right, I just, I must just have to, why, why do people want to grab me? You know, and I, and I went through this whole process, you know, why do they want to grab me? Okay, so they think I'm blind, totally blind, presumably, or just that anyone with low vision is so incapable that they don't, they don't warrant communicating with first. Right. And I said, but they must think that they're helping me. So I, th- I th- and I went through this process and I thought, I thought, well, for the majority of these people, they think they're doing a nice thing and they do have good intentions. Now, I'll say until the end of days that good intentions do not justify unpleasant <laughs> actions <laughs> because their intentions are not as important as my feelings mm-hmm. when they do something to me. Like, that's not, you know, just because nice, helpful, you know, Sally comes along and wants to pull me on the train, that affects me. And, it doesn't matter how helpful she wanted to be. It it had a bad impact. Right. And I thought, well, if I like, you know, rant and rave about this, I'm just going to be that angry blind woman. And so I thought, well, let's translate this into something constructive, right? Because if there are good intentions for the majority of people, they just need equipping with what feels like a very basic and obvious solution. <laughs> um, 
but clearly it's a message that needs hammering home a little bit. And I remember I was just chatting with it, some online friends, and and yeah, I said, all I want to do, all I want is for people just to ask me and not grab me. And I found myself saying that again and again, I just want them to ask me and not grab me. And I thought, well, that sounds like a pretty just ask, don't grab. It's a pretty simple concept. (laughs) Makes a good hashtag. Mm -hmm. Let's go with it. And I just started using it every time an incident happened. I tweeted about it if I had time, and I put the hashtag on it. And other people started sharing it, and more and more. And it was like a flood of people saying, I thought this just happened to me. (laughs) I had no idea. And then, you know, the shock of non-disabled people saying, I just can't believe this happens. And I still get a lot of disbelief where people are like, no, this can't happen, this can't happen. And then I link them to the hundreds of tweets I've got, you know, the pages and threads of tweets I've got of people saying, I was dragged across a road today, yep. just ask, don't grab. Mm-hmm. I was pushed around a coffee shop today, just ask, don't grab. And it's all different people with different disabilities, you know, and it seems to be something hardwired into society that still considers a lot of disabled people incapable right. and vulnerable and unable to communicate what they need or want and that actually there is this still idea this and I think it is a paternalistic hangover of when disabled people were not able to access society independently and perhaps were institutionalized or kept in homes in family homes there is this feeling that we need to be looked after And I think it's about combating that and turning that nice person who wants to give you a hand, allowing them to do it in a way that is, you know, nice. It's nice to help people. I never disagree with that. It's very nice to help people. But it's about doing it and encouraging people to do it in an empowering way. Right. In a, in a way that enables, that facilitates, that makes a positive difference. And not in a way that it's about dominating or taking away autonomy or making presumptions about a situation and that's really the message I want out there is that help is fantastic but it needs to be respectful it needs to be polite and it needs to actually be helpful so you know a couple of years it's still going it has its kind of moments where you know another media outlet notices it and or another fine podcast here wants to talk about it so i hope it'll keep kind of rumbling on um i'm using a little camera now which is going to help hopefully start capturing some of the incidents oh no um, <laughs> yeah well so many people said in the last couple of years so many people are like, oh you should wear a camera you should wear a camera which is its own like accessible technology experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's it's funny you know we've we've both Ryan and I, we've worked in the uh, assistive technology field for, for many, many years. And, and we, you know, it's a story that we hear over and over, over the years, um, you know, uh, from, from clients who have similar stories. You know, it's funny, we have a, a really close, close friend of the show that actually jokes about developing an electrified taser suit. That uh, so, that, so that anyone who grabs her, she can just, you know, hit a button and, and give them a bit of a jolt. 
Um, I know, and the, the worst thing is, and bless them, I think people mean well when they say this. But, like, honestly, if I had a pound for every time someone said to me, oh, you should just hit them with your cane, <laughs> and I reply, well, my aim isn't very good, what with the visual impairment and all. <laughs> yeah, it is, you know, it, but, and I think a really important component of all of this is, is education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sure, I, I, you know, I think that, I think you're absolutely right. A lot of people have the best intentions at heart but they just don't have the the education necessary or they don't they don't think it through uh when they do this yeah i think um i always wonder if it's a bit worse in the uk because there's such a britishness about talking to strangers it's something i very much like and admire in in north americans is you're very good at just chatting to people you don't know and something i like to do right um but British people are not very good at it. And there is an awkwardness around disability in the UK. And, you know, charities done research that has found things like, you know, one in five people will actively avoid a conversation with a disabled person in the UK, you know, lots of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think there is something that happens. And I, it's not, I know, because of people that tweet me, I know it's not limited to the UK, but there seems to be a a moment where someone sees me as a, as a disabled person and they feel the impulse to intervene in whatever I'm doing, going up or down a set of stairs, boarding a train, waiting at a road crossing. And they're so worried in their heads about offending me. And that's what people always say, oh, I, I don't yeah. want to offend anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. And I say, well, grabbing me by the arm and dragging me across the road is more offensive than saying, hi, do you need a hand? Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think people get in such a flap and they probably see me and in their heads, I think they go, oh my God, oh, she's blind. Oh my God, what did I do? Do I need to help her? Oh, oh my God, she's going to get off the train. Oh my God, she's going to fall over. Oh, it's a grabber. You know, and then that's how their mind goes. And actually, yeah, it's just hit pause and remember that I am also a human being and you could just say, you're all right. Do you need any help? And it's so simple. Right. But I think it is, it is unfortunately combating generations of social cultural attitudes about disability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not delusional. <laughs> I don't think a hashtag is going to fix the whole thing. But like you say, people do seem to be getting it, you know. And it is nice because I do get people contact me and say, oh, I was out and about today and I, you know, saw a blind person or I saw a person wheelchair user. And I asked them if they need any help, and I helped them. And I'm like, yay, well done you. Have a cookie. <laughs> no, I'm always very nice, but it is uh, it is interesting sometimes how much praise people want for not assaulting someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and honestly, like, if they really want to help, like, help by becoming an advocate for making public spaces more accessible. I agree. And I often say that. I say, you know what the follow-up action is to walk around your workplace, walk around your town, walk around your local train station. Are there ramps? Are there lifts? Are there disabled people in the spaces you use? And if not, why not? That's right. Because again, the the defense I always get from, and again, it is from some people within the community. Well, you're ruining, you're ruining help for everyone. No one's ever going to help us again now. 
They're going to be so terrified to help us that we will <laughs> die out as a species because no one will help blind people ever again and we'll all get hit by cars. Like, <laughs> okay, sure. Um, I always say, they're, well, they're being kind. They're being kind. I say, well, someone who's truly kind and truly wants to be helpful is going to want to learn. And the people, and I'm sure we've all experienced it, when you say, ow, actually, can you not grab me, please? And they swear at you and they call you this and they call you that. Oh, I was just trying to help. They have a go at you. And you think, that's not a kind person. A kind person is the one that goes, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. How can I help? Yeah. That's a kind person. An entitled person that probably just wanted to push you out of the way or was doing it for their own reasons because they wanted to brag about helping a blind person across the road at their next dinner party. Yeah, that's right. Not a kind person. And actually, if those people are put off grabbing blind people or wheelchair users or assistance dog handlers or people with canes or crutches or intellectual disabilities, neurodiverse people, if all of us are free from the people who want to grab us and not listen to us, I don't think that's a bad thing and I'm going to be quite keen on putting them off. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't really mind if they stop quote unquote helping us because we're not finding it very helpful. That's right. Although there I go, apparently speaking for everyone, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, you know, I think, I think that it, it is really important for people to be more vocal and, you know, again, that's, that's the real importance of, uh, online communities and, you know, we can, people can make their voices heard in a way that they never have before. And I think that that uh, I, I, people need to do more of it. People need to be vocal about these things because that's the only way that things are going to get better and that people are going to be educated. And I'm absolutely sure because, you know what, I am going through a huge process of learning all the time like I absolutely like have suddenly popped up and been like hi I've discovered that I'm disabled and I have this whole idea about that thing um I'm very aware of that um but you know there are people online that are just incredible activists Mm -hmm. and who I just I could just well have to try not to read their twitter feed the whole day (laughs) because I learn so much from them and I correct myself you know I realize I use language that isn't acceptable. I'm pretty sure, you know, even in this conversation, I've probably said words that I think, no, you shouldn't use that phrase anymore. You know better than that. You know, I think that I try to be myself open to that process of education and learning all the time because I don't have every experience. You know, I don't know what it's like to be a woman of color with an invisible disability and chronic pain in the States, you know, I live in a country with free public health care, you know, like that is a huge privilege. And, you know, I'm, if I ever do require treatment or support with my eyesight, it will be, it will be free. You know, I was able to access long cane mobility training for free. Yes. This whole system with that is problematic in this country because a lot of the funding has been cut for the local authority government services. But, you know, and I was able to go to a charity to access that, you know, and, and that's a huge privilege. And, you know, I have to recognize that all the time and learn from people. And, and, and it's important to put your hands up and go, you know what, I've, I've got that wrong. And I am sure future generations of much more educated and better activists than me will turn around to be like, oh, 
that blonde historian, she used all the wrong, she was wrong. She got that stuff wrong. And I'll probably have to say, you know what? I think I probably was a bit wrong with that one. And you just apologize and you say, I want to learn how to be better. I'm going right. to go away. I'm going to look at that. I'm going to learn from it. Going to hopefully improve. Well, you know, listen, if more people had that attitude, I think it would be a much better world. Wow. I think it takes, you, know, you just have to, you know, I find I have to bite my tongue because like everyone instantly gets defensive, don't they? When yeah. I get called oh. out, I instantly want to be like, well, just piss off. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. be really rude. But I have to be like, you know what? Maybe there's a point to be listened to here. Maybe I'll just go away and think about that. And I might still end up disagreeing with the person, but I always try to engage in some debate until I'm like, oh, this is a bot. I think I'll stop now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Listen, you know, keep up the good work. Uh, I, you know, I love reading your your day to day experiences, and and I'm sure a lot of other people do as well. So, well, I hope so. And I'm looking for. I uh, listen. I'm looking forward to the body cam, the video. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, white hashtag white cane cam. There's been a few out already. I've got them scheduled. They're coming out. They tend to be short clips, about thirty seconds ish. Um, Taken. I'm I'm wearing it on occasional journeys because you know i do do the same commute every day and i mean that's boring um but yeah i'm trying to capture it i want it to be like a mix of um you know things that are challenges mm -hmm. problematic stuff grabbing coming across access issues bumping into a boards and bikes and stuff sure. but also trying to be like this is this is how i navigate the world you know, this is my perspective. This is how I use a white cane. This is what I've been trained to do. That stuff that I didn't even realize that was part of holding the big white stick. Right. And people do seem to be interested. Like one of the the better received videos has just been how I get guided down a set of stairs. You know, because I think that's some is the kind of thing that people panic about all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes. They see blind person heading towards the stairs. They're terrified. Um, so I think people really. They want to learn. They find us slightly curious as like social objects, I think. Um, and people, you know, they just like the the phone thing, you know, about people learning about how people use phones and assistive technology. Like people love finding out that stuff. That's true. Or in the UK, um, pedestrian crossings, so controlled crossings with traffic lights. We have on the button box, the walk, don't walk box, there is a tactile spinning cone on the underside of the box so you press the button the wait button and when the signal goes to cross the green man here if it's working there is a little spinning cone underneath the box and that works really well when they can't have an auditory signal right. Um, right. because it's either a complicated junction so people might you know cross into the wrong lane of traffic or whatever um, but it also helps deaf blind people mm -hmm. right. whenever i show people that oh my god they love it they love finding out about that little cone. It makes their day. And then I know they go and tell like 13 other people, did you know there's this cone on the underside? Oh, and it's been that clever. And people love that. People love the little, you know, like the accessible hacks of the world. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's such a shame that we don't get more of them because that is such a classic design solution, right? It's so simple. It's non-intrusive. It massively benefits a whole group of people. And it's so easy to install. And yet people make such a fuss about access and making things accessible. And I think the spinning cone and tactile pavement is just the classic example because tactile pavement 
People would have said it's ugly. We don't want this. And now it's just a normal part of most urban landscapes in the right. UK. It's still laid incorrectly and it's, it needs more in rural areas. But it's such a classic example where you can go, does that bother you? Does that bumpy pavement bother you? You probably never even noticed it. But actually that saves lives every day. That's right. And that's kind of the message I try to talk about accessibility when people think it's going to be such a faff. And, you know, talk to the experts, talk to people, you know, like you guys, like you're always saying, you could have built this in from the start. That's right. You could have included this from the beginning of this process and you've just made a rod for your own back <laughs> by not thinking about it and not having an inclusive approach. Um so yeah, I guess that's my mini rant on accessibility. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you know, it saves us doing the rant because I, I love it. We we could just sit back and let the guests do the rant instead of us doing it. You're regretting it now. I'm a terrible nope. interview subject because I just talk. Because I've no, are you kidding? You're a dream. This, we love guests <laughs> like that. This is perfect. No, it's ask? but but it is true. Like you know, and it's frustrating because it's like you guys could have saved yourself money and time if you had uh -huh. just. Did it from the start. Designed it yeah. from the beginning instead of now you have to tear stuff down and add it on. Yeah. It, it's just it ridiculous. back to that bolt on accessibility, right? Don't even get us started about, <laughs> about the, our country and accessibility. It's an ongoing battle. And uh, yeah. Yeah. We're getting You're much more, um, what's the word, inclined to. Uh, to use the law, I think, <laughs> well, a little bit more litigious in, yes. uh, in, in North America. Yeah, we, we really are. Well, you know, the U.S. for sure. Can we're in Canada, and Canada's a little bit more, I think, laid back. Like, we don't have... A bit more apologetic, right? We are, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we don't, we're, we don't we're, decide we're, to go and sue everybody just because their website's not accessible. We'll, we'll, you know, try a few other channels first before we go down that road, yeah. but... We'll apologize. Yeah. That's right. Oh, we're, we're sorry. I couldn't use your website. <laughs> <laughs> it's all me, not you. Uh, I lived with a lovely Canadian lady for about three months. And uh, she was a good friend during my PhD. She legitimately apologized at the start of every sentence. <laughs> <I'm not> <laughs> yeah, like right. she used to say, sorry. It's like a greeting. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, we've got it down to a science. Uh, it's, it's... I think that's why the Canadians and the Brits still kind of have this fundamental connection, though. Because oh, absolutely. I, you know, in the, in the UK, people apologize to inanimate objects for bumping into them. <laughs> yeah. Which as a cane user is a nightmare, frankly. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I apologize all the time. If I'm out walking with my wife and I hit something, I say, I'm sorry. And then and my wife, Linda, will say, well, that was a pole or that was a table or something. Like, I have no <laughs> you idea. You never know, though, Exactly, right? exactly. The worst, the worst. And especially because I've got some residual vision and I realize what I've done pretty quickly. It's when I take out dogs. <laughs> oh, God, I feel awful. Because especially, you know, obviously you hit their little back legs and I'm, I'm not, I'm not. I try to be like a very gentle cane user, but then you like hit and you feel it, and then you know, I look around and it's like, oh my god, I've just taken out a dog or a small child. That's always the worst, oh, and you just feel so awful. And it's like I am. I know it's not my fault, but I, I feel awful. <laughs> I had a woman. I was coming up, emerging from the top of an escalator, and I was, you know, using the technique to get off the escalator and started sweeping to, to get towards the ticket barrier. And um, because of the tube stations are crushed in such small spaces architecturally, they have lots of entrances and exits that you don't get a good line of sight on, even if you did, did have full vision. And I was, you know, looking straight ahead to where the ticket barrier is. 
and I'm sweeping away. And honestly, I just saw this like blur fly over my cane and like thump down on my on my left side. And I looked over and, and it was this tiny little lady. She was so petite and lovely. And I just felt she had gone like Superman over my cane. <laughs> and I was like, no. oh, my God. And she she instantly got up. She was fine. But she went over and she went, I'm so sorry. And I was like, wait, oh, no, you, you technically should be sorry. But now I feel guilty that you said sorry to me. And I, we're at an impasse here. Mm. And I was like, as long as you're okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry for being blind. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Best use of the cane is at the mall at Christmas time. When there's so many crowds, the cane you pull the cane out and you start sweeping it, everybody's jumping out of your way. Yeah, I like I like all the different like hops and jumps people do over yep. them. I think I might try and put a little compilation of that together. On <laughs> <laughs> like a, in at number ten, it's busy businessman vaulting over the cane. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I'm looking forward to the meme. Um, my other half, he he describes it as um, going rogue. Like he's guiding me and he might have to get out his wallet or something for a minute. And he just says, go rogue. And then I just, you know, go forwards on my own. And sometimes I do think, especially when we're shopping somewhere, he does leave it a little bit longer than he needs. Because he's like, you know, like Moses parting the Red Sea. This is really helpful. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's great for you. It's actually quite a lot of hard work. <laughs> we'll definitely yeah. get you back on once you get your dog. Yeah, well, hopefully it will come sooner rather than later. I, th I have a very, basically, I have a very complicated list of needs. Mm -hmm. um, and those needs somewhat changed during the waiting list process. Right. There's only one charity that does it in the UK. And there's one other smaller one, but it's hardly known at all. Mm. Um, and, you know, compare, again, compared to North America, like service dogs are only just really becoming a thing more broadly apart from guide dogs. Right. Um, and it's just a big waiting list in London. And... Uh, you know, because I have residual vision, that's a specific challenge with a match um, because I have such a busy job and quite a kind of sporadic, you know, I have different meetings all over the city and stuff. So it needs to be a pretty kind of adaptable, confident hound. Um, and I think it, it, I don't mind waiting. That's the process. Mm -hmm. um, two people that I went on the wait list at the same time with have just been matched. Yeah. Definitely not bitter about that at all <laughs> no. no i'm really happy for them they're both lovely ladies um so yeah it is a wait but i'm so excited for it because i love my cane and i'm never going to stop loving my cane because it was you know it was the thing that kind of gave me my life really right. and i know that sounds a bit cheesy and dramatic but i am and people say people who've known me for a long time say this now i am a happier person now that i go i can't see that and because I hold that white stick in my hand yeah. and it was life changing and it allowed me to embrace that badge of disability and just connect with myself in a way that has just given me so much purpose and confidence and joy in my life. And I found this whole community of people to share that with. And it's just been an incredible privilege, really. And then really nice, awesome people like you let me ramble about it for nearly an hour <laughs> oh. and just listen. 
My cane will always be my best pal. Mm-hmm. I'll be devastated if it breaks this first one. I think I'll just burst into tears. Oh, wait, just... so did you name it? <laughs> yes. So it's a really nerdy niche name, and I like the name, but like no one else really gets the name. So okay. it's called Sting, oh. which is after the sword of in The course. Hobbit and oh. The Lord of the Rings of that course. Bilbo and Frodo have. Now, does it glow um, when it's around orcs? <laughs> And it glows when it's around orcs. And my logic is that they have to have a special little short sword because they're short people. (laughs) And I'm quite diminutive. And mine is technically a child-sized cane. Um, And it glows, you know, when danger is near, like headlights. Um, So, yeah, it's my kind of short weapon of war and safety. So (laughs) kind of that's how I viewed it initially. You know, this is my thing that's protecting me and keeping me safe for the first time. Mm. This is the thing that stops me falling downstairs or over curbs or bumping into things. Um so yeah, that's kind of it's like a silly name. Everyone said I should call it Michael and I was like, that's really unoriginal. I'm not gonna call it Michael. (laughs) Michael. (laughs) One cane to rule them all. Right. And bind them in the darkness. Uh, all right. Hey, before we let you go, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the blog and where people can find that if they're interested in learning more about you. Okay, I have to get the URL right. Hang on. So it's caneadventures.blog. Um, I'm not the best blogger. I'm a little bit sporadic. I do have other people blog for me. I blog when something cool or interesting happens. Uh, one thing that I'm trying to do, which your more technologically minded uh, fans might be interested in, is I'm doing um, accessible video game reviews. Oh. Um, so I review video games from kind of a low vision perspective. Uh, I've done a couple of posts about that. So that's uh, calling myself the blind button masher. Really? Oh, I'm so- hoping to get into twitching and streaming, hopefully. Oh, that's, um, that would be brilliant. But looking into the, the technique of that, because... Of how I have to play, I don't know how great it will be, but we'll see. Um, and then, yeah, you, most I hang out most of the time on Twitter. You can find me at Blonde Historian. Um, and my hashtags that I use the most and kind of created, I did create them, let's be honest, is I use hashtag Cane Adventures and I do hashtag Just Ask, Don't Grab. And I really encourage people to use, you know, both because they're a nice way to kind of connect and it's great when people use just ask don't grab because it it just builds that picture and i always say that people should have and i do this positive and negative examples you know really celebrate those people who go out of their way to make a difference right because people do you know and i put up a video of it the other day i shouted into a train carriage and no one um answered me to say where the train was going Mm. and then this lovely little old-fashioned man came up to me and helped me in such a nice way and you know without him I wouldn't have known which train to get on he was great he was a great guy um so it's all it's about celebrating the positives and the negatives it's not just about telling people off it's about Mm -hmm. um you know really celebrating when help makes a difference to your day because we do need help you know that's part of the journey it's saying yeah I don't know where I am I'm lost or you know I need I need a bit of help getting through this doorway or whatever. Right. Um, I need you to help me find a seat, that kind of thing. And and it's about equipping and encouraging people to do that. So, yeah, that's me. Uh, say hi. I'm quite friendly. You know, <laughs> I, like, I like to meet people. I like to chat. You know, met, met up with Twitter people in real life as well. I'm one of those. I'm keen. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, hey, listen, we'll keep that in mind uh, next time we're heading over to the UK. You never know. Oh, please. Yeah, I'd love that. Excellent. Well, and let us know if you ever decide to come to Canada. I would like to go to Canada. I think it's, uh, I mean, given that I did a whole PhD in British imperialism, I do have a slight investment in visiting Canada. <laughs> so you need, you need to come over and see it for yourself then. Yeah. Understand why people moved halfway around the globe to such a snowy, cold place. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, listen, hey, thanks so much again for, for taking some time out. Uh, now you're free. Go to the pub. Have a pint for us. Yeah, I will. Hopefully we'll win the quiz as well. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. Thanks again, Amy. And uh, take care and, and best of luck with the, with the Twitter campaign. We'll be, we'll be following you. Great. Have a, have a lovely day, guys. It was Perfect. great talking to you. Thanks, Amy. Thanks. Bye. You as well. Take Bye-bye. care. Wow. She's, she's even cooler than <laughs> I thought. Yeah. I, I do. I love her Twitter feed so much. I get so, inter- so entertained uh, reading it. And it, it's, I think a lot of people get a lot out it's, of it. It's, it's honest. Right, it's it's open I, and, I love and honest. Yeah. I and I really, I really feel like the, you know, it it is a shame because I really do feel like there are going to be those people that that really point to somebody who's as vocal and honest as she is to be like, oh, you know, she's bitter or mm-hmm. she's angry, and it's really it's it's so much not what it's about. Right. It's it's just about honesty and it's about education. Yeah. Um, and she's absolutely right. There are people out there that just, you know, see it as an opportunity to do something to make themselves feel better. So they'll just grab somebody and right. push them in a wheelchair or, you know, just, just grab them because, you know, they want to feel better. Well, and there's you know, ramifications, you know, there's, there's so many of us that have been standing on a curb listening to the traffic. Somebody pulls us across the street yet at that, you know, when they take you to the other side of the street, you weren't maybe going to cross that way. You were going to cross the other direction. So now your orientation and mobility skills have to kick in. It's like, okay, well, which way did they take me across? Yeah, yeah. Okay, now sure. I got to get back over to that other side, right? Like it's it's draining. Well, and you know, I think that that a lot of people don't even really understand the the orientation and, and mobility process, mm-hmm. or that people that that there is training involved. There, that there is training involved, yeah. and that there's more to using a white cane than just. You know, swinging it back swinging and forth. It back and forth. <laughs> Open, you miss everything. Um, you know, there's a whole skill set there that a lot of people don't don't really realize. And uh, so, again, you know, it's education is yeah. so important. So that's why the, you know a, a Twitter campaign like "Just Ask, Don't Grab" is so important because if it can you know get out there into the general public and and start conversations mm-hmm. uh that's really what's what's gonna provide the most use going forward so that's right so all of you listeners out there tell one person to follow just ask don't grab yeah just one person have them tell one person yeah let's start a movement let's raise amy to the top of the heap change the world Wow, it's pretty lofty for a Tuesday. <laughs> I I'm gonna be lucky to figure out my lunch, <laughs> let alone change the oh, world. Oh, you're probably hitting. You're putting a lot of pressure on me here. <laughs> no, it just. Do I have you know, breakfast for lunch, or do I have a? Oh, I see. Yeah, one of those moods. Well, it's because I'm gonna hit McDonald's on the oh, way home, right? So they. Mm-hmm. Breakfast all day has really impacted my life <laughs> in a lot of ways because now I got to decide. If I want lunch or I want breakfast. Mm. I just wish they served hotcakes after. Oh, wait, maybe they do. I'm not sure. 
Mm. I'm sure you'll find out. <laughs> yeah, actually, because I could really go for some hotcakes right now. Hotcakes and sausage? Uh, that's funny. Okay, well, we better end this because I'm getting hungry. Right. Uh, hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email. Please do. Cowbell. Yeah, you're not even close. Uh, cowbell at atbanter. No, it's, forget <laughs> it. It's now you've broken it. Cowbell at atbanter.com. They can also find us on Facebook, atbanter, and Twitter, at underscore banter. And Instagram, atbanter. Look at that. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Well, and, you know, stay tuned because we do have the accessibility team from Google joining us on an upcoming show. You can just say next week. Okay. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> you can be a, The Google accessibility already, team will be joining us. Next week. Look for it. Yep. To talk about what was announced at Google I.O. 2019. All right. That is going to about do it for us this week. Thanks again, everybody, for listening in. Our thanks to Amy Cavanaugh for joining us. And, uh... See everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C A N A S S T E C H.com. Or call us toll free at 1 844 795 8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take. <laughs>